happy summer, everybody. I'm so glad that summer's back for us. Who all's so glad that summer's back? Yeah, hallelujah to Jesus. And those of you who are not glad that it's back, you're wrong. So, um, <laughs> but uh, we're in a series called How to Beat the Odds. And I want to start off by just acknowledging uh, this weekend there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a holiday that is just full of demo- demonic activity and full of uh, just just the powers of hell, and you may have heard of it before, and it's it's actually today. I was told earlier today that it's National Cat Day, and God's going to send judgment upon the earth. He already has, and, and did you know that a cat is the only animal that will stay with you throughout the rest of your life, because even if it dies, its parasites live on in your house. It's a terrible, terrible thing. So, <laughs> I did that. I did not look that up. No, I knew that. That uh, that's good stuff. Uh, so we're in this. Area. I'm gonna I'm gonna move away from that pretty quickly because I'm getting the death stares from the cat lovers in the room. Um, but you know, because you're cat lovers, the 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 happy stares kind of look the same. We can't ever tell what you're thinking. <laughs> it just keeps going deeper and deeper. Like the fact that you're not laughing at that encourages me even more to keep telling cat jokes. Dear God, make him stop. All right, so we're in this series called How to Beat the Odds. Last week, we talked about anxiety and the effects of anxiety. And like the odds are that anxiety is going to beat us. And we talked about God's word and, and a lot of that, 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 that stuff that comes with that. And, and, and so how do we beat the odds with anxiety? Today, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of hover around this idea of truth. There's this tension that we can't really identify what's true. Uh, you hear something, uh, whether it's through an app or through a cable news outlet, or you hear people talking, and you know you you you, you might get passionate about it. You might question, like, oh, I don't know if that's true. But the thing is, if you go to the search engines and you search up things, you can. You can almost use it like the Bible. You can almost use a search engine to prove that something is true or not. So how do we find truth? I mean, in a world where there is so much conflict and so much passion right now, like this whole Israel, Palestine, Hamas, Gaza, Zionist thing, like, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I, I think I'm supposed to support Israel. That's what I've heard in sermons, and that's what I read in the Bible. But I also think that, like, I'm supposed to care about my enemies. Jesus said to, to, to do what to your enemies? Love your enemies. I think I'm supposed to care about people who are being bombed. I think I'm supposed to care about oppressed. And how am I supposed to take sides? Am I supposed to take sides? This conflict is hundreds of years old, and, and I don't know the history behind this like the people who are living it. I'm really confused. Is what I'm hearing even true? How can I believe what I hear? Even in our own government, we've had this, this real tension in, in, in Congress around who's going to lead the House of Representatives. And, and we hear reports about, well, this person's going to do it, and they vote, and then that person doesn't do it. And it just keeps going, and, and then we're like, are we this divided that we can't even ever come together around just simple things? And then we hear that we're supposed to support Ukraine, but we're not supposed to support Ukraine. And we should send money to Israel, or we shouldn't send money to Israel. And we should just guard ourselves against Russia. And our, uh, 
and immigration. Like half of us don't even really know what the current law is because it's so complicated. Or we only know what a certain personality or a certain YouTube video has told us about it. But we all have an opinion. Some say show compassion. Some say deport them. Some say detain everybody and make sure they're not part of some kind of group that's coming in to bring drugs into the United States. Violence is at stake. Kids are being... I mean, it's really muddy. Or is it just me? There's so many opinions. Or is it just me? There's so, there's so many different versions of truth. We watch these apps and these commentators and these reports, and I sit back and I'm, I start wondering, like, who's actually writing the true history here? Do we just gravitate to the things that we think are true? Do we just hope that what is true are the things that we like? Here's the odds. The odds are, with everything that we hear, there's probably something that's not true. That's the odds. So what do we believe? As Christians, we say it matters what we believe. We believe in Jesus. We, we have values. We have things that we hold dear. And it's a critical question because what you believe to be true is going to have a direct effect on how you live your life every day. Let me say that again. What you believe is true is going to have an effect on how you live your life every day. In your notes, it, I say it this way. What you accept is true, as true is revealed by your values and by your behavior. How you, how you engage with others who don't believe the same way that you believe. How you drive in traffic. <laughs> How you treat your coworkers, how you act, and what you do every day is as big an indicator of how what you believe as what you say you believe. And if you want to know what you believe, just just look at what you do. We can't say that we believe one thing and then act in direct contrast to it. That doesn't compute. This is just like common sense, which isn't so common. But these things work together. A belief is held together by the values and the habits that prove it. It's what determines how we accept truth. There's a simple little tool that I really think helps me to drive this home and to understand it, and it's, it's this little tool about, like, how do we find truth? If you could bring up that, that, that slide about truth indicator. So here, here's, here's, if you want to find out, like, values plus beliefs equal what you consider to be true. So, case in point, I love Carolina, okay? Shut your mouth. I love Carolina. I, I was going to do I hate cats, but, you know, I, I can divide a room uh, so easily. But I love Carolina, and, 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 and I can prove that because my behavior is that when they're playing, I'm wearing the team paraphernalia. I'm wearing, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing my Carolina stuff. I'm watching the game. I'm cheering, all that kind of stuff. Now, the converse is also true. You can tell which team a person likes because they're wearing their, their apparel, and you can just, you know, automatically go, oh, okay, well, they're that kind of fan. Like, I believe that Carolina is the best. I believe that they're called by God. 
and they're chosen by God. Not yesterday, but I believe that <laughs> I believe that they're loved by God. I mean, he made the sky Carolina blue for a reason, yada, yada, yada all that stuff, okay? So, uh, and, and my condolences to the Clemson fans. Anyway, so, all right, let's, let's, take something, let's take something serious here. We pray this prayer every week here in our church. We are image bearers of the Most High God. We're covered by the love of Jesus. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And because of the power of this Holy Spirit that's in us, we're going to share the love of Jesus recklessly. Every, everybody, we believe, bears the image of Christ. This, this is based off of Genesis 1.27. So let's, let's, let's take something serious. If I have a value, if we'll throw this back up here. If I have a value that we are image bearers of the Most High God. Not that one, next one. There we go. If I have a value that we are, uh, we are image bearers of the Most High God, what do my habits and my behaviors consist of? Well, one thing that we started telling our kids early on was we don't, call, we don't call people names. So no name calling. We respect each other. And the converse can be true as well. Like, because we respect each other, it just might indicate that we believe that we're image bearers of the Most High God. Because what you value determines how you behave. And this is a biblical paradigm. This is not something that I'm creating just out of logic or philosophy or my own personal thing. This is, you find this all over Scripture from Proverbs 12 to 1 John 3 to Ephesians 6. But let's take it a step further. The chart that I love about, the thing that I love about charts is they, they go and they, they make the same case each way. The behaviors call out the values and the values call out the behaviors. Not only what you behave, I mean what you value will determine your behavior. What, you, what your behavior is will determine your value. So here's the big challenge out of all this. And here's where it gets even more quiet in the room when we start thinking. And I think quiet is a good thing a lot of times. We talk about this on Wednesday nights sometimes uh, with, with, our, with our group. And sometimes when we're quiet, it's because we're processing things. And we're thinking through them a little bit more. So I think over these next few questions that I ask, it's, it's okay to get a little bit quiet and a little introspective here. Here's the challenge. If someone were to write about what you do, what your behaviors are, not what the behaviors are that people see every day, but like the, 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 the behind the scenes. If someone was to catalog and to just kind of list out what your behaviors are, your habits, what belief would they point to? If your time was to be analyzed, if your behavior and habits, if, if it's actually going to be considered, what belief system do you, would, would just an objective person connect you with? These behaviors and habits, they not only inform our values, but they inform how we feel. 
inform how we feel walking through life. Jesus had this habit. He had this habit of, like, not being able to be found. He was pretty shifty. There would be, like, this whole thing going on where people was being healed. And if you've ever been, like, a part of a big crowd and everybody was just focused in and had attention going on, like, like there was this great thing happening. And then somebody would say, oh, that was awesome. Where's Jesus? Where did he go? And, like, he was nowhere to be found. Because Jesus had this habit of breaking off from everybody and going up into the hills and praying. They were always looking for him. If you read, if you, if you get into the Gospel of Mark and you just start reading the first few chapters, you see where the disciples would wake up in the morning and have no idea where Jesus was. And they would have to go looking for him. And they had found that he had found a secluded place to pray. What, what truth do your values and your behaviors add up to? We, we, can, we can eventually get to our idea of world problems and what we believe is true in the world, but let, let's deal for a second with ourselves. Think about your passions. Think about what triggers your emotions. For me, a big one is uh, like annoyance and anger. I can feel myself get triggered when I'm angry. I can feel myself like when, when something annoys me. And my family can feel it too, man. We were at the dinner table the other night, and the kids were just being kids. And I just like I'd had enough. And like they were laughing, and they were loud, and all this stuff. And, and I don't even remember what I said, but inside this is what it felt like. For the love of God, would you just stop? Oh, my gosh. I don't want to go to jail today, you know. Like, everybody can feel it when, when I'm triggered. Everybody can feel it when you're triggered. Think about what triggers your emotions for what gets you excited or gets you uh, really, really happy. Think about, think about what triggers your really strong passions and beliefs. It could be a political opinion. It could be something as simple as bad drivers, <laughs> But Jesus had very clear direction. He had very clear ways of talking about what was true. When Jesus was on trial, one of the questions that he asked, uh, one of the questions that he was asked by Pilate was this, what is truth? The governor of the whole region has a prisoner in front of him. And he asks Jesus the Christ, what is true? It's probably the most important question of that entire trial. Jesus lost that trial, by the way. And if we listen to Jesus, we might just become more like him as parents, as spouses, as Christians. The conversation has to move from, what do I do with all of this uncertainty? What do I do with all of this stuff I don't know is true? We have to move from that to... Who can I trust? Who is true? After being asked which way to go, what is true? How do I know what is truth? Jesus answered one of his disciples this way. And this is our text for today. We, we could have landed on several of those scriptures that talked about that framework of behaviors and all that stuff. But that's really just a foundation getting us to this question that Thomas asks of Jesus 
in John chapter 14. Jesus is asked this question of where can we find truth, and he answers it with a person, not a destination. Thomas said to him, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Another translation of this gets into, Jesus, we don't even know what's true. Jesus answered him this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am what? The truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love that about Jesus. I love that Jesus answers in a different way that you would think. Jesus is answering this question, and he's not saying this is the, the, these things are how you determine truth. This is what truth is. Jesus says, I am how you see truth. If you're looking for truth, Jesus is saying, look at a person. Jesus is saying to look at him. And a lot of us who have been in the Christian world and in the church world and in the faith for a long time, we think that if we have the right values and the right behaviors, then we've got everything lined up. But here's the thing. Values and behaviors are not the same as having a relationship with Jesus. Doing the right things and thinking the right things are not the same thing as communion with Christ. We can analyze charts and activities and our behaviors and what we watch and values all day long, but we can only experience Jesus. And this has got to be one of the most frustrating things for me as a preacher, as a pastor, a lot of times, because I can only preach Jesus and and proclaim Jesus. You have to experience him. I can't experience Jesus for you. I can't give you a formula that makes you experience. You have to step out in faith toward this Jesus. I love teaching. I love the idea that there is truth that we can grow from, that we can, we can instill in our lives, that we can even question without fear because God's not afraid of our doubts. The same guy, Thomas, who asked Jesus these questions, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he's asking Jesus more questions. Listen up, parents and husbands and wives and children and and grandmas and grandpas and widowers and widows. Listen up, normal people and not normal people. If you want to get to where ultimate truth is and and you want to know what truth is, ultimately it's this. Truth is not a concept, it's a person. If, If we walk through life thinking that the only way to truth relies on our ability to discern it, then we have clearly put someone else than Jesus into the place of God. My intellect and my ability to reason, what the writers call modernity, that everything has to happen in a way that I understand and benefits me. Truth isn't a concept as a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How are we doing with this? How are we doing with Jesus' truth. Do our behaviors and our values point to that? Or are we in danger of following a different gospel? Is it possible that we Christians often behave 
as though something other than Jesus is the way. And here's the odds. The odds are we are in danger of putting our trust in someone other than Jesus. We are in danger of putting our trust in ourselves, into the things that we fill our spaces with, our our intellect, our emotions. How do we beat these odds? The Jesus way says this, love your enemies. Blessed are the merciful. Care for the oppressed. He even tells his disciples, y'all need to protect yourselves when you go out there. Because not everybody is for you. But he didn't tell his disciples to pick up a sword and go looking for people to cut. He said, protect yourselves. And here, here's, the odds are this. I too often complain and hate my enemies rather than love my enemies. And there's something in this heart that Jesus is still healing to this day. Here's, here's the odds. When I, meet, when I meet people that don't share the same opinion as me, I am more tempted to write them off as not being as intelligent as I am. Or as informed as me. One of, one of the great gifts that I've been given over the years is, 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 are these words that come to me from different sources of saying, how, how, how have you learned from other people lately? How, were you able to learn anything? Did that person that you disagree with, are they able to teach you anything? Are you humble enough to learn? from even the people that you disagree with. It doesn't mean that I fully agree with them moving forward, but is there, am, am I that pompous and arrogant that I can't learn from my kids or people that I disagree with? Things are more tense than ever. They're muddy. What do we do? What do we believe? Remember, truth isn't a what, but a who, according to the gospel. Truth is a person. Jesus is the truth that sets us free. Now, that, that is a great concept. And we can nod our heads and we can like that concept. But how does this happen in real life? Like with all the turmoil and anxiety and worry and pain all around us, and we ask, this, okay, Jesus is truth, but what about the stuff that's actually... Like, how does that get applied in a practical, real way? Or do we just consider faith to be this something thing out here that's more aspirational than real, everyday, hands and muddy, gritty kind of life? I fully believe that the things of Scripture are able to be lived out in everyday, gritty, muddy life, or they're not true at all. If, if we can't take the truth of God and, and, and actually live it out, if it all has to stay concept, I'm out. Because I, I don't do well with the different worlds of just living in a thought bubble and that being like not in reality. Everything in scripture can be lived. John chapter 1 says this about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, talking about Jesus. Skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son, 
full of grace and truth. These scriptures right here take the idea of of God and puts hands and feet and skin and blood on it. The real everyday grit and mire of humanity. Jesus was the word who existed in the beginning. Jesus is God. He's been God the whole time. And the word became flesh and lived among us. We see his glory. And he is full of what? Grace and what? Grace and truth. If you read about the life that Jesus lived, if, if, if you look at who he was as a person, even somebody who hates Christianity and despises and doesn't believe in God, agnostic, atheist, or whatever, if, if they, a person looks at the life of Jesus, what's been written, and if they've got any sense of right or wrong, they're going to look at this life and say, man, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. He cared for people. He looked out and noticed people who were on the margins and who were being overlooked. He was full of love and he was crazy generous. He was compassionate. He cared about poor people. And then he ate with rich people and and rich people actually changed. There was this guy named Zacchaeus who actually took his savings and started giving it away. Not because Jesus told him to do it out of a response of an encounter. He was changed by an encounter with Jesus. He embraced people that rejected him and he was brilliant. He was wise. He didn't get caught up in the traps that the religious people of the day were throwing his way. He didn't get caught by them. He was so brilliant. And here is the question. Why aren't his followers looking more like that? Why are we Christians so embarrassingly hypocritical at times? Why are we known for being horribly judgmental? If you look at the way we tend to live versus the way that Jesus lived, it seems we don't get it very often. So what happens with people who just instinctively reject Jesus, instinctively reject his church, instinctively just like, I can't, I can't be a part of that anymore. Been there, done that. I think it's because Christians have historically, at least over the past 20, 30 years, been all about truth. And very little about grace. What do I mean? I mean that statements like this. Well, if you don't believe what I believe, then you're just going to hell. If you don't vote the way that I vote, then you're just going to hell. If you don't uh, take a stand against this particular group of people, the way I take a stand against this particular group of people, you're wrong and you're going to hell. Because God only likes these particular groups of people. And we don't say these things out loud, but those are some of the connotations that come along with this idea. And for some reason, going to hell, like we're really obsessed with hell over the past 30 years. Like, like, like hell, 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 hell. And somebody's going to isolate what I just said and make fun of me with it. That's, okay, whatever. What happens when we are all truth with no grace? Listen, I, I didn't say any of that was false. I'm saying that when we're all truth with no grace, we become mean. And truth becomes this absolute thing, and every to a hammer, everything becomes a nail. 
And you know what? If if you're not with us, if you're not, if you you are absolutely doomed if you don't get it together. And odds are, several of us have lived this way. I know. I know. I've been guilty of living this way. All truth with no grace. And truth without grace leads to judgmentalism. Justice without mercy. And then there's the opposite of that. All grace and no truth. Whatever you want to do, as long as you're not, as lo- as long as you're not hurting anybody. As long as you're sincere and you really believe, it's all good. Grace without truth, just doing whatever, it, it's, it's like relativism. Well, man, that's okay for you, man. Hey, you, you do you, baby. You, you, you got what you believe in you. Like grace, all grace with no truth. It, you know what it leads to? It leads to idolatry. It leads, it deceives us into believing that whatever anyone thinks or whatever we, we want to believe can be true. And truth becomes fully relative. And truth becomes fully just dependent upon what you think and what I think. And what's true for you, it doesn't necessarily have to be true for me. It's, it's taking the ideas of the universe and violence and, and war and, and, and death and, and destruction and evil and, and putting it on the same playing field as whether you're a Tar Heels or a Blue Devils fan. It doesn't compute. There's way more at stake here. Truth isn't about preference. But Jesus... Is it one or the other? Jesus, according to the book of John, all grace and truth. All grace, all truth. When you experience Jesus, you experience grace and truth. And and Jesus, he is life-changing. Like, absolutely life-changing. And again, the challenge is this. I can't convince you of this. I, I can keep pointing to scriptures like John 8.32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What will the truth set you free from? It's going to set you free from, from putting anyone or anything other than Jesus in the place where Jesus belongs in your life. Jesus promises you, I am the way. Being free means that you're not going to fall victim to other things being the way. Things are more tense than ever. Things are muddy. What do we do? What do we believe? With all the turmoil and the anxiety and the worry and the real pain all around us, the odds are not in our favor unless we really follow this Jesus. Unless we really lay down our very lives to pick up his. We can believe in the grace and truth of Jesus. But you have to live it out. You have to experience it. It's, it's not something that you just agree to in a moment and everything else has changed. Well, I thought salvation was instantaneous. Absolutely. You can follow Jesus right now. But you're going to have some more questions. You don't become a robot when you start following Jesus. Well, I've heard of people whose addictions have left them immediately. And miracles are like, yeah, miracles happen. That's never happened to me. I really wish I would detest Oreos, but it still hasn't happened. You're going to have a journey. And the journey needs to be filled with Jesus, full of grace and truth. 
And most often it means that we have to let something go along the way. I'll give you an example. And I'll, uh, I'll close with this story. The story of the monkey and the banana. And if you'll leave this picture of the monkey and the banana up, you've probably heard this story before. Farmers in India would catch monkeys that were destroying their crops. And they were humane. They didn't want to kill them. Because the monkeys served a purpose in the jungles. So what happened is the farmers, they cut a hole in a coconut and they put a banana inside the coconut. And they tied the coconut to a tree. And so what would happen is the monkeys would come, come and they would find the banana. And, and what they would do is they would reach their hand into the coconut, grab the banana. And when it tried to pull its hand out, because his hand was clenched in a fist holding on the banana. See, this hole was just small enough for him to get his hand in. And when his hand was clenched in a fist, he, could, he couldn't pull his hand out. He was trapped. And because the monkey would refuse to let go of the banana... The farmer was able to catch the monkey. If the monkey had just let go, he'd have been free. Nate, are you getting ready to call us a bunch of monkeys? Yeah. We have a tendency to hold on to things. Things that attract us, look good, taste good, smell good, things that we, we want. We tend, we tend to be like, like, we tend to hold on to them. And these things don't serve us. We, we cling to our own truth. And we wonder why we feel so lousy. Our own preferences, our own wishes, preconceived ideas, obligations, comparisons, fantasies. The way we've always done things. And we probably don't even realize when it's happening. But we trap ourselves by clinging to our own preferences of truth rather than submitting our preferences to Christ. And this is the part of like great processing for, for us. This is the part where we really start asking some hard questions of, man, ha- have I held on to something that has kept me from the best of what Christ offers? When you look at this world and when you look at your life, Are there things that I'm holding on to that aren't full of grace and truth? Not one or the other, but the full picture of Jesus. Gosh, I'm so tired from the game and the odds of trying to figure it out. Figure out what I believe. Figure out what's true. Figure out what's not true. Figure out I'm doing the right thing. Let me close with the words of Jesus out of Matthew chapter 11. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In our community, I can feel the real tension 
around our anger, around our opinions, around our differences. You can feel it. I think we can be a church where the people who are tired of arguing find rest. And the people who are so caught up in arguing are set right before God and find peace. I think we can be a church where there are very different opinions and very different ways of looking at the world But at the same time, we can root ourselves in Christ. And we can be a place and a people who refuses to let our opinions get in the way of the love of Jesus. If I have to choose between the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus, I believe it's a false choice. Because you don't get grace without, without truth, and you don't get truth without grace with Jesus. So if you're feeling uneasy about grace, if you're feeling uneasy about truth, that's a great indicator that you're doing the work of a disciple. That you've not just become comfortable with one or the other. And I commend you for that. Keep leaning into that. Now, I want us to pray some prayers before we leave. And uh, I think it'd be good if we stood together. And when I talked about that whole monkey thing and the banana, I, I think that's a really good picture that some of us hold on to things. And there, there's an opportunity to let that go. There's a reason why we pray with open hands. It's because we've let things go. So I think we can do this a couple different ways. I think that we could, you can stay in your seat and you can pray with your hands open. I think there's an opportunity for some of us who were like, you know what? I literally, I want to lay things down at the altar before God. Not, not to put on a show for a church or whatever, but I, I need to bring something. And these, 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 The front of this up here can serve as a place of sacrifice where we lay things down before the Lord. And it might be a good idea for some of us to take an extra step today of, you know what? Man, I get so caught up. God, I I need to let that go and trust you. I need to let that go. And if, if, if you're telling me to go a certain way and I'm not hearing it because I'm just holding on, God, I, I, I want to let it go. Maybe you're far away from Jesus. Or at least you feel that way. Here's the truth. You can't be far away from Jesus. He's everywhere. He was here before you got here. He was with you when you came in. He's going to be wherever you're going later. But here we can feel far away from Jesus. Maybe 
Maybe today's the day where you're like, you know what? Jesus, I let go of my need to control it all. I let go of my my desire to just know everything. What is it about me, God, that you need to save? What is it in me that you need to heal? So I want to take these next few moments. I want to pray a prayer, then we're going to go into the song. And I I want you to just get, just get there with God in an attitude of prayer and in a place of prayer with your hands open before him. And whether you decide to use this space here like an old-fashioned altar or whether you decide to stay at your seat. And you know who you are. So there's a, there's a few of you in this room who's like, man, I, I need to like lay it down. Hey, feel free. But I want to pray over you. With your hands out in front of you, palms facing up. In the name of Jesus, I pray the freedom of Christ in you. I pray the truth of Christ and the grace of Christ all over you. You will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. That's what Jesus does is he brings freedom. For those of us who carry the anxiety and the weight and just the gray cloud of worry, for those of us that carry this this incessant need to be in control, we're carrying burdens and we're carrying things that only you should carry, Jesus. Only you can carry. God, we lay them down. Several of us today are laying down our need to be in control. If you're making things right with God and you're putting him as Lord and Savior of your life, lay down your rights before him. Pray the prayer of saying, God, I believe that Jesus died for me. Jesus, he rose from the grave. I believe in you. And I lay it down knowing that you fill me with grace and truth, knowing that in a world of such muddy waters, I have such a clear love and direction with Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God's strong son, amen. Let's take, let's take these next few courses. and lead out with this giving away. Amen.